Praise the Lord, somebody. Let there be sound. Amen. Uh, before I get to my text this morning, I'd like to spill a little bit here and uh, get you guys prepared, bit a little foundation for our text. Now, first of all, let's say it's good to be in the house of the living God. Amen. Did you guys come expecting to get a word from the Lord this morning? I pray you did. Hallelujah. Now, first of all, last week, if you guys were here, I hope that you remember that we spoke on a parable that was given by Jesus about the wedding feast of the Lamb. Y'all remember that? One of you do? Hallelujah. So anyway, from that we, we learned that it was more than just a parable, but it was actually a picture of a prophecy because Jesus was speaking of things that took place in the past, but he also spoke of the things that took place in his day, but also he spoke of things in the present, which made it a, a picture of a prophecy given by the Christ. But today we're going to go back even farther back into time. We're going to go 700 years before Jesus Christ was even born in Bethlehem of a virgin. Hallelujah. And so, in other words, we're going to go 2,760 years back from today. That'll get us back in the ballpark of where we're at. And so our text is, is written by a prophet of God. Everybody say a prophet of God. And his name means, I'm not going to tell you his name now, but let me tell you what his name means. His name means Yahweh saves. Everybody say Yahweh saves. Now, I'm going to give you a choice of which prophet you think this is. Is this Micah? Is this Daniel? Is it Isaiah? Or is it Nahum? Or is it Ezekiel? Or who is it? Can y'all guess which prophet it may be? Everybody's jumping in at once. Hallelujah. And if you thought it was Isaiah, you're absolutely right. Now, we know that Isaiah, if I've told you before, Isaiah is spoken of many times by men, not in the Word of God, but as men. We, we refer to him as the eagle-eye prophet. Because Isaiah was gifted in such a way that he was able to look into our world and the world to come with such clarity. He could look into the world and he can see things that, that only majority of the prophets had a glimpse of, but he saw it very clearly. And, and so today we're going to be looking at one of his, his, his uh, prophecies that he was given us. And what I love about this is because personally, I can't even tell you what tomorrow brings. And this is phenomenal because here's a man who's looking almost 3,000 years ahead of time into our little world and he's seeing things that were to come. And it's just, it blows my mind because God is using this man as a tool to, to reach the world and to give us warnings of the times that we're living in today. Can I get an amen? And so I want to begin this morning with that text, but always remember what is impossible with man is always possible with God. I, I don't know what scripture it is, but it says, I think in Second Timothy, that, that all prophecy did not come about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the, men, in the will of men, but men spoke from God 
as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so here we have a picture of Isaiah who is speaking through the Spirit of God, and that's what gave him his clarity to see our world today. So if you have your Bibles, go with me to the book of Isaiah, chapter 5, and we'll be reading verse 20. This is a very difficult sermon to preach, but I'm going to try to stick with my notes as close as I can. Uh, I believe God has something he wants to say, not only to our church, but to the world who's listening to us around. How many, how many countries are listening to us now, Brian? How many you say? Quite a few. Twelve or thirteen countries across the world are listening to us. What's the farthest one, you think? Ireland? Singapore? Wow. Is that crazy to think that here we are in this little country town and they're listening to us in England and the UK UK and whatever and it's just, yeah, amen. And and they're listening to us today. It's crazy to think about that. But anyway, go to Isaiah 5 and 20 and once you find your place, please stand this morning as always for the reading of God's holy word. The prophet of God says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who puts bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning in the mighty name of Yeshua. Jesus Christ, the Lord, the King of kings. Father, there's no other name given to men by which we must be saved. Father, this is the name that we come before you, Lord, and it gives us access into the Holy of Holies and to the presence of an almighty God. And, Lord, we humble ourselves before you in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, we come this morning expecting a word from you. And, oh, God, we just ask this morning in the name of Christ that you would just speak through these lips of clay. Father, let me be as Isaiah and Daniel and Ezekiel. Let me be a man of God with such integrity, Lord, that I can speak what you would lay upon my heart. Father, hide your servant behind the cross that no flesh may boast before you. Let the words of my mouth, the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord. You are my strength. You are my redeemer. You are my God whom I shall trust. Father, I just praise you this morning because I know that, God, you have a way of reaching the lost. You have a way, Lord, through your word to change and transform us, Lord. Father, don't let us be just hearers of your word today, O God, but let us leave today being doers of your word. And we praise you in the mighty name of Jesus, and God's people said amen and amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord God Almighty. Now this morning I'm going to begin with something that our Savior said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Now keep in mind, that the Pharisees and the Sadducees were the religious leaders of their day. Can I get an amen? And we find in the book of Matthew 16, 1 through 3, and I want you to notice something here in this particular verse, in these verses, that that I'm going to kind of use today as my outline, if you would. 
Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who came to him to test him by asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Show us a sign. Prove who you are. Jesus replied, he said, when evening comes, you say it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning today, it will be stormy for the sky is red and overcast. He says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. In other words, you guys think you know everything there is to know. But but it's strange to me how you cannot even tell what times you are actually living in. Here you are, the religious leaders of Israel and Judah. But you can't even tell the times that you're living in now. Jesus said you, 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 you study the word of God in order to get saved. But it's these scriptures that testify about me. Come on, amen. And that they could not recognize who he was. And so it's kind of like what Ezekiel tells us in Ezekiel 12, 1 and 2. The Bible says, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, you are living among rebellious people. They have eyes to see and do not see. They have ears to hear, but do not hear, for they are rebellious people. So just think about, for just a minute, here the Pharisees are standing before the very Messiah. The one that God would send to this earth to save mankind from their sins. And here he is, God himself, manifested in the flesh, standing before them. And they could not recognize who he was. And the problem is, is these men, they knew the word of God, but they could not recognize the word of God. Are you with me? The Bible says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Come on, amen. And so what they should have done when when they started seeing the things that Jesus was doing among them, they should have began to look according to the word of God and see if he was in line with the one that was to come. Starting with eagle eyes prophecy in 714. The Bible says in the King James Version, Therefore the Lord himself shall give you a sign. Everybody say sign. Now, we're used to signs, amen? I mean, you, you go into a town you don't know and you're not used to driving. You're looking for the, looking for the sign. You're looking for the exit sign. You're looking for the sign. You come to a stop sign. And God in his word has given a sign to what? To look for. It's very simple. Therefore, the Lord himself shall give you a sign, something to, to, to point you the way. He shall give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is what? God with us. Thank you, brother. And we find in Isaiah 9 and 6, this is really interesting. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful. Counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. But instead of seeing the sign that was right before them, this is what they're seeing according to John 1.11. 
He came to that which was his own, but his own did not recognize him. Isn't that amazing? He came to the very own. He came to the first, to the Jewish people, the, the one, the, the ones, God's chosen people. He came to those people, but the leader of those people could not even recognize who he was. And so Isaiah in our text today, in 5 and 20, he begins with one simple word that we need to take note of. It's the word woe. Y'all mind saying woe for me? Woe. I remember it was Fonzie who would say woe. But we're not talking about that kind of, that's not that type of woe we're looking at. Because this woe here is more like a, what I would say, more like a curse. A curse beyond you because when you begin to look at the word woe itself, you, you see it's a broad spectrum of things and, and it's not looking real good because if God says woe to you, you're not probably in a good place right there. But Jesus said woe to those who, or Isaiah said woe to those who call evil good, good evil who put darkness to light and light for darkness who turn bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. But he says woe and the definition for woe is simply this. Woe means to be afflicted, in agony, in anguish, distress, misery, pain, and torment, and tribulation. It's not like sounding too good, amen? Now, now when I read this, what, what it reminds me of, it, it reminds me of a clear picture of what it would be like in the place called Hell. I mean, when you hear what we just read, it, it, it shows a symbol of what it would be like to be in hell. You'd be in anguish. You'd be in pain and distress. You'd be going through all these sufferings. And, and this is a woe. Hallelujah. And so let, let's begin to talk about hell for just a moment. Just going to touch on hell. Deuteronomy 32 and 22. I, I heard a young man on, on YouTube. He's saying that, that hell's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Everybody said, that's a lie of the devil. Amen. For we find it, first of all, in Deuteronomy 32 and 22. For a fire has been kindled in my wrath, one that burns to the lowest hell below, and it will devour the harvest of the earth and the foundations of the earth. Hallelujah. Matthew 13, 41 and 42. For the Son of Man was sent out as angels to weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil, and they will be thrown into the fiery furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of Teeth, John says this about Jesus, his winnowing fan or his, full, uh, I think it says fork or fan. I, I think it's clear it would be, be a fan because when they were clearing the threshing floor, they'd use a fan to blow off the shaft. So I, I think fan is closer to the original language here. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the shaft with a what? An unquenchable Fire. And finally, we come to John the Revelator, Revelations 21 and 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murder, the sexual immoral, and those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars will have their place in the fire lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. So we're going to look at some things today that, that's pointing the woe. The woe. Because people who, who, who live in this type of woe are usually are the ones who will probably end up in this place called hell. So we need to take this woe to heart. And so we're going to look at the key first of all. 
Woe to those who call. Everybody say call. Woe to those who call. You got to get this part. If you don't get this part, you're going to miss the whole sermon. So, so get this part. Woe to those who call. In other words, these are the very words that are spoken by these wicked individuals that Isaiah saw in the future, our world. Woe to these people. Okay? Why is that important, Pastor? Well, let's look at the words of Christ. We gotta, we gotta take the Old Testament and the New Testament. We gotta put them together. We gotta use them as confirmations that the Bible will always back up what? The Bible. Each time and every time. Hallelujah. Matthew 12 and 37, Jesus says this. He says, for by your words, you shall be justified. And by your words, you shall be condemned. In other words, when I stand before God, I'm not going to be judged according to what David said. I'm going to be judged according to what I said with my mouth. Now, let's, let me break this down for you because it's, it's real clear that it's with your mouth that you can find yourself in the very presence of the Lord God Almighty and spend eternity in a place called heaven with God because of what you spoke and what you believed but also with that same exact mouth, you can send your place, you can send yourself to this place that we we're talking about earlier called hell. And woe to that. Hallelujah. Paul tells us in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He said, if you'll confess with your what? Confess with your mouth. You got to speak it. It's your words. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For it's with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it's with your mouth that you confess and are saved. Do you see it? You guys are too quiet today. Jesus said these words. He said, whoever acknowledged me in Matthew 10, 32 and 33, whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever what? Whoever disowns me before men, I will also disown him before my Father in heaven. Hallelujah. So are you seeing the words of your mouth is working with you or Against you. The words of your mouth. God said, hey, I said before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life. Choose the right words. Because your words could what? Send you to hell or put you into heaven. With your words. Because when you get saved, you don't go up to the altar and just go. No. Even if you're not speaking with your mouth, you're speaking with what? Your heart. God listens beyond the mouth. Come on, Hallelujah. He's listening to where it's coming from, the heart. But I'm going to read one here that could be a little confusion, uh, co- confusing, but, uh, but I'm going to try to break it down where you can grab hold of this, okay? Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 11 through 13, listen. He said, here is a trustworthy saying. It's trustworthy. If, everybody say if. If we died with him, we will also Live with him. If we endure with him, we will also reign with him. If we 
disown him, whoo, he will what? He will also disown us. Oh, but if we are faithless, he will remain faithful for he cannot disown himself. Now, let's stop right there. I got to draw the line in the sand here. Because you see that there, there's a difference here between denying him and being unfaithful to him. See, that's, that's a hard line to see, but, but it's there. And we got to see it to really understand what's going on here. Because God has made a, a distinction between the two. Now, every single soul in this building, including me, and probably more of me, has been unfaithful to God one way or another. How do I know that? Because any time that God tells you to do something and you do not do it, you're being what? Unfaithful. But see, we have a promise here that tells us that that when we are unfaithful, that God will remain faithful and he will not disown himself. Come on, hallelujah. That's good news. But you see, but but the line is this. Even when we're unfaithful, he, he, he will not disown us. But when we cross that line and we deny him, twice we've already read that said he will deny us. Now, you, you know as well as I that there's only one unforgivable sin in the Bible, and that is the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. And I don't think there's nothing more blasphemous than to deny that God exists. And people walk around in our world, the same world that Isaiah saw almost 3,000 years ago. He saw our world walking around denying the very one who came to save you and I from our sin. That's a good word. Hallelujah. And so we come to the first thing that Isaiah spoke. He said, woe to those who call evil good and good evil. Man, this is a hard sermon to preach, but I'm doing my best here. Hang with me. And once again, I want to remind you of something that Jesus has said. We're going to go to a little story about Jesus and a young man who came to him to get saved. I want you all to listen carefully. In Mark chapter 10, 17, and 18, as Jesus was on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. He said, good teacher. Everybody say good teacher. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, why do you call me good? He said, there's no one good except God alone. Now, here's the mystery. Here's what Jesus is really saying. You got to get into the heart of this message. What Jesus is really saying said, oh, so you call me good. And there's no one good but God. In other words, are you believing that maybe I could possibly possibly be God manifested in the flesh? Are you seeing it now? In other words, when you call me good and there's nobody good but God, then you're saying with your mouth that you believe that I am the one who was to come. Hallelujah. So he's believing, so Jesus is trying to break it down to him. But Jesus, he spoke in such a way that sometimes you got to read it over and over to grip it because what he was speaking was about the, the Trinity of God. God who was manifested in the flesh in three persons. God in one person manifested in three people. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Are you with me this morning? 
But here's what we got to understand. We live in a world who calls good evil. Good evil. The, the world we live in calls this evil. This is the good thing. This is the word of God. All scriptures is God breathing is useful for teaching, rebuking, and correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man or the woman of God may be thoroughly for every good work. But our world calls it evil because it's old and they say it's outdated. They call it evil. And so because they call this evil, they also believe the God that we serve is evil because how many times have you heard in your lifetime People who say, if God is so good, then why does he allow such things to happen in our world? People starving, people dying of disease, people this and that. If God is so good, then why does he do that? Let me just say this. I've had it up to here, or maybe up to here, with people blaming God for the evil in this world. Because I can promise you, it's not God who is causing all this pain and suffering. We know who it is. We know exactly who it is. Amen? Because what we have to understand is the God that we serve, whose name is Jehovah Jireh, that means what? The Lord will provide. The God we serve is the great provider. In other words, God has already, in his sovereignty, he has already provided enough water, food, medicine, and anything that we could ever want. He's already provided enough for everybody to live a good and wealthy, healthy life in this world. But there's another another word the Bible speaks of, something called greed. Because of greed, our world suffers when the provisions are there. Let let me break it down to where the rubber meets the road. Can I do that this morning where the bug hits the windshield? Come on, amen. In other words, there's there's a young man, not too young, but there's a man by the name name of Jeff Bezos. Do you all know who he is? A few of you do. Jeff Bezos, he's the owner of of a company called Amazon. I think I've heard of that. Amazon. I've seen them in y'all's yard. Come on, amen. But this man, one man, is the richest man in America, probably one of the richest men in the world. He owns $112 billion today. Now, we've got to understand, that's a lot of jack. Come on, Amen. That is a lot of greenbacks. That's a lot of money. How far could that go to feed the people and clothe the people around him in his little world? I can promise you probably several miles from his house, there's somebody who's going through hell who don't have enough money to buy some groceries. And here he is sitting on $112 billion. Dollars. Now, is God at fault or is man at fault because the provision is what? It's there. But Isaiah, he looks 
And to our world, he says, woe. Woe to those who call good evil and evil good. Because he sees people who have so much and God has blessed them with so much, but they won't even help a few. Come on with me. Are you with me this morning? I think it was John who said in 1 John 3 and 17, he said, if anyone has material possessions and he sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, he says, how can the love of God be in him? He said, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue but with action and with truth. I think I left that part off, but that's how it continues in verse 18, I believe. Luke 11 and 39. Jesus said to the Pharisees, he says, now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You've seen it, man. These rich people who have everything they can look all pious and holy and whatever. They can walk into the biggest church and have the nicest Mercedes and Rolexes and all that stuff. And, and could, you know, they're going to drop a little bit in a plate. But that little bit does not amount even to the widow's might who gave everything she had. She was the one. Out of all the people of the church that day, she was the one that caught the Lord's temple. He's sitting on the front there and everybody's dropping in. But she came and gave Two copper coins. And Jesus like, whoa, she outgave everyone because everybody gave out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. She gave everything she had to live on. She's a good example of taking the evil world and showing what good looks like. Can I get an amen? And so our world today truly does not understand Evil from good and good and evil. But, but we should be able to tell that the signs of the times that we're living in. We should be able to see that we are living not in the end times, but we are in the beginning of birth pains. In other words, it's beginning. It's starting to happen right now. And I'm so glad that, that God is not only using me as a man of God up here from this pulpit, but also using me in the music industry where there are thousands and billions of people out there who are lost. They won't listen to a Bible sermon or anything, but they may listen to a song. Come on, amen. And if God could just use me and, and just reach that one, then, then I've done my job. As a man of God. But James says it like this. He says in James 3, 13 through 15, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by his good life and by deeds done in humility. He says, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it, for such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, it's of the devil. That's a lot to swallow right there, but... Maybe you want to write that verse down and take it home and chew on it because that's a lot to look into right there. That might be my next text to preach on. I don't know. But we come to the second part. Woe to those who put darkness for light and light for darkness. Getting deep in here. Now, what I'm going to use as my illustration is going to be a little strange, but I'm a strange guy. Y'all used to it. Amen. 
I didn't make you come here. <laughs> it was your choice. So I can get as strange as I want to appear. It's just the way I is. Amen. But my little example is, 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 is real. Once you get hold of it, you got to think about it. But I've always wondered if someone, say, let's just say 30 years old. If someone 30 years old was born blind and has never seen light in their entire, entire life. Here's a question. When they're at home in their apartment or home, wherever they live, do they turn on the lights at nighttime? Or do they walk around in darkness? Because what you have to realize, it can be midnight, pitch black, and they can go into the bathroom to get ready for bed. They can brush their teeth, comb their hair, get in the shower and do everything that we do without one speck of light. You know why? Because that is what they have become accustomed to. Oh, I'm going somewhere. This is what they are used to. Now, you can make him mad or he can make himself mad because he can go into the bathroom and turn on the light, but he could walk out without seeing it on, and then his light bill comes in. Come on. Oh, I didn't know my light was on. You see what I'm saying? And so, in other words, he could be offended by his light bill. I'm going somewhere. Y'all hang with me. Now, our world we live in today are walking, majority of the people are walking in darkness. Why? Because they are 100% spiritually blinded. And so, they're good in a church that speaks darkness. They're not offended because they're not getting their toes stepped on. But you get somebody who's accustomed to the dark, and they step off into the church that preaches holiness, living for God according to the Word of God, they're going to eventually get their toes stepped on, and they're going to get mad, and they're not going to get mad at me, but they're really going to get mad at God because it's not me who's speaking. It's the Spirit of God speaking through me. But they can't see it because they're still in darkness, and they're accustomed to it. So I'm kind of like that light bill. <laughs> Amen. John says it like this. John 3, 19 through 20. He said, this is the verdict. He said, light has came into the world, but people did, but men did not, but men loved the darts instead of light because their deeds were evil. And he says, everyone who does what is evil, they hate the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Why was it that the Pharisees and the Sadducees hated Jesus so much? Because he was a light. And he lived such a way, he lived according to the heart of God. He lived such a way that his lifestyle and his words were very convicting because they knew that they were out of the will of God. Come on, amen. Because he came to show what love really looked like. They had a, a form of godliness. Churches are full of people that have a form of godliness, but you spend enough time with them, eventually you'll find yourself pulling the knife out of the Come on, amen. They will come against you in the house of God. Why? Because they are wolves dressed in sheep clothing. Are you with me this morning? I think I'm going somewhere. So John says in 1 and 5, 
The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Matthew 15 and 14, Jesus said, you need to leave them. They are blind guys. If a blind man leaves a blind man, they both will fall into the pit. You get a blind preacher preaching darkness to you, make you feel good and fuzzy, he'll lead you right into hell with him. Come on, amen, because he, he, only, ta- he only tells you what you want to hear and what makes you feel good. But he'll never tell you about your sin. He'll never tell you where you're going wrong because you know what? If he does, then his plate will get lower. And his wallet won't be, his, he won't be, he wants to where he has to sit sideways. Come on, amen, because his wallet's so big. Amen. Are y'all with me this morning? John says, this is the message, 1 John 1, 5 through 7. Am I preaching too long? Where's Kobe you in here today? He said, I keep going? Okay, thank you, Kobe. <laughs> Amen. 1 John 1, 5 through 7. He said, this is the message we've heard from him and declared to you that God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live by the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, then we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus purifies us from all sins. Hallelujah. That's good stuff right there. Thank you, Lord. Now, I have a friend from school. We don't hang out. I don't see him, but maybe once a year, maybe run across him at Target or something. And he's a really nice guy. But he's gay. Y'all stoning me yet? Thank you. Now the problem is, is I've tried to show him the light. But he did not want to see the light. Because the light makes him feel uncomfortable. And so he, he has certain church that he goes to that he can sit comfortable in a dark church where nothing is spoken truth. So he can sit there with his boyfriend or whatever and just be all good. You're not going to do that in this church. You're welcome. But you're not going to practice that here in the church. Come on, amen. And if I have to stand before a judge, I'll speak truth. But that judge better be on his toes. Because I know a few things about the Word of God, and I will speak it. And if I don't know it, the Holy Spirit will remind me at the time I need it. Hallelujah. And so the problem is, is that there's no light in his life. In his mind, in his mind, he says, I'm saved. Are y'all listening? I'm saved. But what he's actually doing, he's calling darkness light. Come on, amen. He's calling light darkness because it, it goes completely Against the truth. And so I, I love on him. I'm a friend to him. I'll be a friend to him from now on. And I don't judge him. I try to show him the love of Christ. I don't try to condemn him. The Bible said, therefore, anyone's in Christ, there is no condemnation. Would not condemn somebody like that. It's my responsibility to love him to the cross. It's my responsibility to turn the light on when he walks into the room. In other words, to live a life around him that will reflect the truth of who God is. 
In other words, I can't go in the gay bar and act gay to win a gay boy. Can't do it. Got to act like God called me to be a man of God, a man of integrity, a man according to the word of God. 1 Corinthians 4 and 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Wait until the Lord comes. He will. He will bring light to what is hidden in the darkness, and he will expose the motives of the heart. And at that time, each will receive their praise from God. Can I finish this? This is the last part. I'll make it short. Are y'all enjoying this? Thank you. I can see y'all's wheels turning. I, I want to get those amens, but, uh, but usually when I'm preaching kind of deep, the wheels are going, and I can't get an amen because you're like, you know, trying to chew it all up. But anyway, we're moving on. So the last one, he said, Woe to those who call bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Now, this is probably the most difficult part to, to try to explain, but I'm going to make it where you can understand it. The illustration that I want to use is this, that will help you see what he's talking about. I'm going to talk about something that I know very little about, and that's cooking. Yeah, I'm the one that put what in my grease for flour? Yeah, I use powdered sugar. Yeah, I use powdered sugar instead of flour. It all looks the same to me. Come on, amen. So my, my cooking skills are poor. I can cook breakfast sometimes. And so the illustration is this. I can see my wife coming to me, hey, Iron Man. Now, she won't call me that, but I like if she would. Father's Day is next week. And so what I want to do for you, I want to make you a big batch of chocolate chip cookies. I'm like, whoo, Hercules, hallelujah, you know. I'm thinking about milk and cookies, but she see, I can hear her in the cook, in the kitchen cooking and stirring and, and doing what she does to make these cookies. But, but when she's in the process of making these cookies, she realized that she did not have any sugar or splenda, all but she has some salt and garlic. So, you know, that's no problem. No one's going to recognize it. And so they take the salt. She tastes the salt instead of sugar. And she took something that should have been sweet, and she used bitter. Now, the cookies, they came out looking sweet, yeah. But the moment that I began to taste it, I began to realize that these cookies are not right. They had me fooled. You know why they had me fooled? Because they had a form of being a cookie. But in reality, they were the devil himself. Come on, amen. Amen. That was a bad cookie, amen. And, and, so, and, and so the same way today, David says these words in Psalms 119-103. He says, how sweet are your words to my taste, sweeter than honey to my mouth. And so... If I'm a man of God and I stood up here and I never talked about love, grace, or mercy, but I only stood up here and I talked about hell, judgment, and the wrath of God, then guess what? I'm taking something sweet and I done turn it bitter. Well, at the same way our preachers today, they're, they're using, they're not telling anybody about turning from their sin the judgment and all that, they're not telling about the other side of God. They're only talking about love, mercy, and grace. 
And what they're doing, they're just showing the people the sweet side. But if they don't turn from their wickedness, then they're going to experience the bitter. So they turn sweet to bitter. That, that's, that, that is the best way that I can extra- explain it. Paul says in Colossians 4, 5, and 6, he says, Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Dave came out last night. He said, I want to audition for the band. But one thing that, that impressed me more than his playing, his equipment, which is phenomenal, was his attitude. His attitude about being there, his, his excitement about actually playing. The boy's got skills. But the skills didn't what got me as much as it was the heart behind the skills. Because, see, there's a lot of guys who've got skills but ain't got no heart. There's a lot of preachers who's got a lot of skills but don't have no heart behind the skills. And so you and I, we, we have to study and show ourselves approved unto God so we can be careful not to, to call things good that are evil and evil good. We have to take the responsibility not to take bitter things and try to make it sweet. Oh, it's okay. No, no. Call sin what it is. If someone's living in sin, it's nothing against you, but according to the word of God, this is wrong. This is not my word. Don't get mad at me. Take it up with the big G. Come on. Because <laughs> he's the one that you got to stand before, not me. So let's, let's, let's all stand this morning. And I'm going to remind you of the scripture that Paul wrote. 2 Timothy 4, 7 through 8, I believe. He said, well, the time, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, they'll gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears desire to hear. They'll turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside a myths. And right now, even though we are small in number, we're leaving with something that changes us, but also has the power to change others. Because we're not, we're not preaching a one-sided gospel. We're trying to preach the truth the best that we can. And we want a good balance. We're going to talk about the love of God and the mercy of God and, and, and the faithfulness of God. But we also say there's the other side of God. If you don't receive these parts and reject his son, the love of God, then you're going to face the wrath of God, the anger of God, and the judgment of God. See, there's a balance. But no matter what we speak on according to the word of God, we do everything in love. Love. My Bible says that love covers a multitude of sin. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It's not proud. It's not rude. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrong. Love does not delight in evil. It rejects with rejects. Reje- Hallelujah, love is. I think when the tongue starts working, it's time to stop preaching. But love never 
fails. I got the last part anyway. This morning, I want to thank you guys for being here. We come before you, Lord, in the mighty name of Jesus. If someone here today does not know you as their Lord and Savior, I'm not going to ask you to slip up your hand. I want to ask you to come down and make a decision. We just read earlier that if you're ashamed of me before men, I will be ashamed of you before my Father in heaven. The greatest decision you can make right now is to come and to give your life to Christ, the one who says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's the faithful one. He's the gate. He says, whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. Father, I thank you for the individuals here today. I pray your blessings over them in the mighty name of Christ. Lord, let the anointing of the Holy Spirit from this room today follow them. Let them be a light today in a dark world. Let them be the sweetness of your word. Let them represent you in each and everything they do. And we praise you now in the mighty name of Jesus. And God's people said amen and amen. You guys have a blessed week.